0: right, Luke 10, 25 to 37. What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion." He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spent. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said.
1: To turn on and off here, <laughs> get that out of the way. Okay, so I always believe in uh, apologizing when we've done wrong, and uh, so I have to say I apologize. I'm not wearing shorts today, though I said I would. But when the temperature drops to uh, like 50 degrees, uh, then I, I'm going to go with that. Uh, but I appreciate I appreciate the the Hawaiian uh, themes today. We have got a couple people who are in their Hawaiian themes. This is this like. This Hawaiian shirt as I get and it's got little lobsters on it so it's I don't know I I, I go to Maine for my Hawaiian experience Um, anyway anyway fun stuff fun stuff Uh, I apologize also for making that announcement the Lord felt the need to hey we're gonna drop the temperature so if you're hoping for continued warm weather that may be on me as well Um, but anyway here we are here we are thank you Sarah for reading the scripture that's where we're gonna be today uh, in uh, Luke chapter 10 we're going to be starting at verse 25 and uh, just looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, I imagine I could probably ask in, any number of people within this group to come up here and say, hey, share with us the good, the story of the Good Samaritan, right? This, this is just built in. This is just one of those stories that all of us no, we've heard it, we've read it, we're aware of it. It's even ingrained the idea of this idea of the Good Samaritan is ingrained within our culture as well. I, I did a little Google search on Good Samaritan, and uh, it's amazing how many different missions, organizations, and opportunities pop up, right, so, uh, globally. There's also something down in Manchester, that's a Good Samaritan network, and they help out with the poor and those who are in need. It's just built in, this idea of the Good Samaritan is just built into who we are. In fact, there was just a story, I didn't get to read the full story, saw the headline and the little synopsis. I believe it was a man down in like the Manchester area, uh, who actually helped stop some of the, uh, the robberies that were happening in, in vehicles within the last couple of weeks within our state. There's been an uptick in robberies from vehicles. And this man came in, and he helped somehow he helped stop this. And the, the news article said, hey, the Good Samaritan, right? right? So this is just kind of built in now to our, our vernacular, uh, how we talk, how we describe different people who help out. All right? But during Jesus' time, the title Good Samaritan for the Jewish people would have been an oxymoron. Right? It did not fit. It did not fit together. Good and Samaritan, those two do not go together in that culture at that time. And we're going to look at Jesus' response to this, to what it actually means to be in the position of the Good Samaritan. Before we do that, let us pray over the word. Lord Jesus, we come to you today asking, Lord, that again, as we dive into your word together, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us guidance, that you would encourage us and also challenge us where we need to be challenged. I pray, Lord, that as we open up this word, which is your holy word given to us, that our lives would be transformed and changed, even this morning, Lord, uh, let us come uh, approaching this with an open heart, an open mind, to hear what you would have to give us this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen. So here we are. Here we are. Good Samaritan is different because it's it's so ingrained in our culture. But like I said before, it wasn't ingrained in the first century, and they this these were words that would not go together and so oftentimes we see this parable this teaching of jesus presented just as a good moral lesson right we've, we've kind of taken it as a, just a good moral lesson right you see someone in a ditch and what do you do we're supposed to go and help them out of that ditch but there was a lot of a deeper meaning behind this passage than just oh see the man pull him out of the ditch and help him along the way this is this is putting two groups of people in the same circle, in the same space, who absolutely hated one another, and i don 't know if we can comprehend that. Maybe you know that we, we see conflict over in Israel today between uh, the Israelis and, and the Palestinian people, and we see the conflict in that culture today, and that the back and forth with that culture, uh, and and that's that's a, a a little glimpse into what was happening in this first century. Uh, the Jewish folks, Jesus is going to tell a story about a man who's traveling down a road. All right, and it could be a very dangerous road. It still actually could be very dangerous today. And uh, this man in the story is going to be going to be robbed, and so there's danger. There's danger around this story, and it was that that danger was built into this culture was built into this time and place. The Jewish people saw the Samaritans as, as half-breeds. They, they had been in the land, and they intermarried with pagan people, and, and so they were not truly part of God's kingdom anymore. And the Samaritans saw the Jews, and they were pulled out of exile. They were the ones who were there, and they actually had the true place of worship on their, their mountain. There was a fight for the land. There still is a fight for the land, right? still is a conflict for this Land It still goes on today. Both of them were, were uh, trying to claim um, the, the, uh, the title of true inheritors of, of the promises of, of Abraham that had been given so long ago. Both of them uh, were trying to make claims on the land, which still goes on today. And so no Jewish traveler in Jesus' day really looked forward to taking a trip through Samaria, right? They would often, what would they do? They would go the long way around. They would go the long way around because they just didn't even want to set foot in the land. It, we see this in, in, in stories throughout this, the gospel when, when Jesus is is telling people, hey, if they don't accept you, you're, gonna, you're gonna, just going to dust the, the, the sand off your sandals and you're going to walk away. They, they considered, the Jewish people considered even the land that the Samaritans owned and that they walked on as impure and dirty. And so if they stepped into their property, walked through their land, and were going to go back into their property, they would actually kick the, sandal, the, the sand off their sandals saying, we're leaving the impurities behind us. We're leaving the impurities behind us. They both saw each other, both groups saw each other as, as poison on the land and poison to the promises that they were supposed to receive. So they would often take the, the long way around so they wouldn't have to be made impure by, by collecting even the dust on their sandals, even today, even today, you'll see these, these groups, and they, they will maybe take a different route versus doing the straight route down because they'd have to cross into uh, a land or a, a section of territory that they would consider dangerous, right? So we see some of this going on even today. And so this road that Jesus talks about, there was potential for, for danger as you would travel down uh, this Jordan Valley and uh, Jericho and Jerusalem. It was not a completely safe road. And so this is what Jesus is going to set up to as the answer to this man's question, this man who comes with a question um, for Jesus. We read today, we started out with a, the piece where, where the, the man is saying, "Who is my neighbor?" Who is my neighbor? The lawyer wants to know who counts as his neighbor. In Luke 10, 29, wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? We're going to pop around this passage a little bit as we go through it. We're not going to go straight through verse by verse. Who is my neighbor? This man is a Jewish man who's, who's asking this question. He's a a, a uh, expert in the law, we'll just call him the lawyer. This lawyer is is asking Jesus, "Who is my neighbor?" By the law's standard, who is my neighbor? He is part of the nation that, where God is the God of Israel, they are a, they are His people, and so naturally, in his mind, his neighbors are literally his Jewish neighbors, his friends, his families, the people, the family, the people he wants to hang out with. But as we keep seeing in the book of Luke. Israel's God is the God for the whole world, and his grace extends to the whole world. And the story is going to tie that in again as Jesus is expanding their minds on what it means to actually be in the kingdom of God. And so he's going to take them through the story of life and death, life and death on this dangerous road, and what it means to, to live in God's kingdom uh, death is on the mind of this lawyer. All right, as you look at the passage, I encourage you to turn there, Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25. Then the expert in the law stood up to test him, so he wants to challenge Jesus. All right, the, the, the experts in the law, the lawyers, the, the religious leaders, they're pushing on Jesus. They're pushing on Jesus. They don't like everything that he's doing, they don't like all his conclusions about the law, they don't like what, uh, this n- sort of new message that he's, he's giving them. And he says, I want to test him. And he says this, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right? Death is on this guy's mind. What do I need to do to uh, inherit eternal life? Now, what's interesting about this is when we see this passage, what do we automatically think of? How do I get to heaven? Right? I mean, is that sort of what we do with, with that question? Jesus, what do I need to do to get to heaven? In the first century, in this Jewish context, and, and their understanding of eternal life, that's not exactly the question that this man is asking Jesus. He's not asking the question, how do I get to heaven? All right, He's asking something that's a little bit different. He's not asking, if, we, if he was asking about that, we'd expect Jesus to come and say, well, here's the four spiritual laws that you use, right? I've used those before to help people lead people to Christ. Or here's the, the road to Romans that you walk through. He's not asking that kind of question that, that we normally think of nowadays. How do I in, get how do I inherit eternal life? For the faithful Jewish person, the follower of God, the future didn't mean being swept Away to somewhere else. And that's often the picture of heaven that we have, right? When I die, I'm taken somewhere else. For the the faithful Jew, the future didn't mean being swept away to somewhere else. Heaven is where God reigns. So heaven is where God reigns. I think we'd all agree with that. Heaven is where God reigns. And they were expecting that God would come back into the temple. To reign with them as his people. And so therefore, again, they would experience heaven on earth in the promised land. For, for someone like this lawyer, in their culture, in the Jewish culture at that time, the garden, Garden of Eden, was heaven on earth. Why? Because God was there with them. Walking and talking and fellowshipping with his creation, with his people. The tabernacle was literally heaven on earth. Why? Because that's where God was with his people. The temple was supposed to be heaven on earth. Why? Because God was supposed to be in the temple. They weren't experiencing that now. They were waiting for the promises where, where God was going to return to his people. Uh, they were looking, they were looking, they're, they're looking for paradise in that promised land. So when he's asking the question, how do I inherit eternal life, it's more along the lines of, how will we live like God's chosen people? What will life look like as God's chosen people? And he's there to test Jesus. It says he's, he's there to set Jesus up with a little bit of a test. Push on him a little bit. What, what, do, you think this, what do you think this looks like? Our understanding is that God's going to come back. He's going to come back. We expect him to be in this temple. We expect all these promises that, that then go flood throughout this land that we live in. We're going to have secure borders. The Romans are going to be kicked out. Uh, the, the, the corrupt religious leaders will be taken care of. We will, then now, we will now be God's pure people Again, what's it going to look like to live like that? And there were answers that they had for that. There were were standard answers that they had within their culture that their leaders were, were giving them. And they're looking to see, Jesus, how do you answer this question? What does it look like to live as God's people? And he starts saying things like, well, it's going to be bigger than you think. There's going to be more people on the outside who are involved. And there's, whoa, what, what, what is... No, 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 no. We are God's chosen people. It can't be bigger than, than just us. And so Jesus flips the question back around to the lawyer. I love this. Jesus takes his question, picks it up, and he gives him a question back, right? We see this in the scriptures. He says, uh, what is written in the law? I'm going to send this back to you. What is written in the law? You're an expert in the law. What is written in the law? How do you... Read it. How do you read it, Jesus says? How do you interpret what the law says about living as God's chosen people? And like a faithful Jewish follower of God, he rightly goes back to Scripture. And this is what he says. He answered, Love the Lord your God. This is verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He goes back to Leviticus 19 where he, the, the, the Scripture says, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against a member of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. goes back to De- Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That was the basis the base for how they understood the Scriptures and their commands from God. And, and not only does Jesus agree with this man in his understanding... But Jesus gives us this, this uh, same argument, right, within the Gospels. Jesus, we see in Mark chapter 12, Jesus answered, the most important is, this, he's talking about the law, he's asked about the law, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself, There's no other command greater than these. And Matthew 22, as he's talking, and he says this, Love the Lord your God about the law. What's the greatest? What's the greatest? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, and he combines these together. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So not only does he, he says, okay, well, I want to know how you answer that question. But he affirms them. And, he says, and we see where Jesus answers that the same way as, well, what do I need to do for eternal life is this man's question, initial question. How do I inter- in- inherit eternal life? How do I live as God's, uh, God's chosen people? Jesus says, yeah, you've answered correctly. You're reading this correctly. Do this and you will live. But he's got another question. For Jesus. He's got another question for Jesus here. Wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus is going to tell this story about this really unlikely hero. This, this is nobody's hero in the nation of Israel, this, this Samaritan. Uh, who's going to reveal this, this, this canyon, this, this great divide between the different worldviews about what it means to be God's people. All right? Jesus has a, is expanding the, the view on what it means to actually be God's people. This is good news for us. I mean, this is really good news for us. The lawyer wanted to know, what does the law do to define us as God's people? What do you see as the law? How does the law define us as God's people? He wants a narrow definition of what it means to, to be part of this, this community. Because the second question, it says he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to win the argument against Jesus. The, the word justify has the same roots as the word righteousness and, and actually justice as well. He wants to prove himself that he's righteous, he wants to justify himself. So he wants to justify, he wants to look righteous. This also has the same kind of root as the word justice, and Jesus is going to tell a story about what it means to follow God and provide justice to those who have been hurt. He wants to be found, right? This man wants to be found righteous because of his understanding of the law and the box that he can contain it in. And so he says, who is my neighbor. This is a very limiting statement. Do you you see the the limits he's placing on this? If you just tell me the 10 people that I have to like, (laughs) right? Just tell me the 10 people I got to like. Right? The 10 people that I got to go and hang out with at some point in my life, tell me those guys, great, I can handle that. Maybe 12, uh, maybe, maybe 13, but just the ones that I, like, who is my neighbor? It's a very limiting statement. It's, it's kind of like when, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I really need to forgive somebody? Remember Peter says that to Jesus? How many times do we need to forgive somebody Matthew 18, Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Can I do seven times? I think, Peter, do, you, do you see the limits on this? Do you, do you see what we do with this? Lord, if I, if I do this at least three times, am I good? Right? <laughs> if, I, if I, God, if I, if I read my Bible five times during this week, am I good? Are we set? If I prayed... This X number of times, are we, are we set? And we try to kind of make these boxes. We, we put these sort of limits around what is, what is the least that I need to do to actually be a child of God? It kind of comes down, this this sort of what the question comes down to. What is the least I need to do to be a child of God as I'm living this life? And I think Peter, as we're talking about Peter's question about forgiveness, I think he's feeling pretty righteous by his answer. He says seven times, I saw a commentary, an article that said that um, the rabbis during that day would often say that you don't need to forgive anyone more than three times. All right? So someone does you wrong three times, that's the limit. And they base that off of Amos 1, 3 uh, in that passage where God forgives his enemies three times, maybe four, before he sends judgment on them. And so the rabbis were like, well, hey, this is what the prophet says. This is how God forgives. So therefore, we only have to forgive people three times. Then we're done. Wash your hands. And people, Peter comes up and says, hey, what about seven? Am I good when I do seven? The rabbis over here, these other teachers, they say three, maybe four. Uh, God, Jesus, I'm, I'm seven? Am I good? I think and Peter may feel pretty righteous by his answer. And, and we know Jesus says this to him later on. I tell you, not as many as seven... Not as many as seven. You may have expected Jesus to say, well, you know, your rabbis say three, right? Because that's what God forgives is three. And then then you can wash your hands of that. No, Jesus says not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Jesus says, just go bigger, Mm -hmm. right? What does that say? Go bigger, go home kind of thing. Jesus says, go bigger. 70 times seven. He's not saying count the numbers. He's just saying, just Keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. Keep offering forgiveness. Keep offering that grace. Keep offering that love. Show people, show people that you are actually God's people. And so Jesus knows that the heart of the law is not to limit. Jesus knows the heart of the law is not to limit, but it's actually to expand the grace that we see from God. Expand our view on God's grace and love for everyone who will follow. The lawyer thought he knew who his neighbors were. And Jesus is going to say in this story, think bigger. Think outside the box that you have. Who is my neighbor? He says, and Jesus says, who proved to be the neighbor to the one who fell to the hands of the robbers. We, we see this. We're going we're gonna to look at uh, these, these guys here. But in the, in this story, Jesus says, took the question up. It's like it was dropped at his lap. And he's like, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll pick the question up. I'll pick this up. Jesus took the question up and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell to the hands of robbers. This would be a, a Jewish man here. Uh, notice, notice you have to notice how Jesus is putting this lawyer in the position of this Jewish man, all right? He's part of their tribe. He fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, fled, leaving him half dead. He's not dead yet. Uh, Half dead, verse 31. A priest happened to be going down that road when he saw him pass by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, saw him pass by on the other side. These were the guys in this lawyer's crew, right? This, This was his crew. These were the religious leaders that he would have hung out with because he's an expert in the law, and so they're going to talk about law. They're going to talk about what it means to live under the law. They're going to be running in the same circles, and he says, the guys in your circle, what did they do? They just walked on by. This this is not just like, Jesus is not even saying that they they walked, they stopped, uh, they debated. Oh, no, no, no. These guys, the religious guys, saw the man laying on the side of the road, and they intentionally crossed over on the other side. Just keep going on their path keep going on their journey but verse 33 but a samaritan on his journey came up to him when he saw the man he had compassion it says he went over bandaged the wounds poured the olive oil and wine on them put him on his own animal brought him to the inn took care of him and the next day he took out 2 denarii giving them to the innkeeper and said take care of him when i come back i'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend the man says, who is my neighbor? And Jesus then follows up with this story in verse 36. Which one of these three do you think to proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Which one proved? Do you see a little twist here how Jesus answers this question? Again, he's putting this man, the lawyer, in the position of being the dead man on the road because he's a Jewish man. All right. This would have been part of his tribe, part of his group. And he doesn't say that, oh, the Samaritan, you looked out and, and, and he proved to be the neighbor. He's, he goes and says, which one proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? If we miss this, it's like Jesus saying, if we miss this, if you miss that, this, this Samaritan comes up to you and cleans you up, bandages you, this man that you hate actually attempts to do this for you, uh, then it's like you're, you, you end up risking staying on the road dead, all right? If you don't accept this man's help, Jesus twists this a little bit. It's like, would you even accept the help of this man? Or would you wait for someone else who's pure to come and help you? It says the man is half dead. He's not dead yet. I'm, I'm remembering Monty Python. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. Um, he's not dead yet. He's on the road, half dead. Being a good Jewish man who's on the road laying dead, I don't know if he would want to even accept the help of the Samaritan. I, I think Jesus is tying all of this in. Okay, Would you even accept this help from this man? From this man. He makes the lawyer say the words, you know, who proved to be the neighbor of this man. He makes him say the words, the one who showed mercy on him in uh, verse 37 the one who showed mercy on him, the man, the Jewish man, can't even say the name Samaritan. Jesus has called him out in the story. The Samaritan, the enemy that, that your enemy, helped the man. He proved to be the neighbor. Who? who tell me. Tell me who this man was. And the man, the, the lawyer couldn't even say the Samaritan's name or title or description. Can't even say the word Samaritan. Anybody here watch the Canadian show Corner Gas? Oh. oh, Susan, just, oh, it must be our family thing. I thought maybe since we're right next to Canada, we'd all watch this show from the 90s called Corner Gas. Oh, great little show. They live up in Canada. They live in the town called Dog River. Little itty-bitty town, not a highway in sight, just a gas station on a corner, and uh, hence Corner Gas. And, uh, and what the, there's a rival town called Woolerton. Every time that they, they mention Woolerton in the show, the residents saw Woolerton and spit at it. All right. This is the kind of attitude that this man, this Jewish man has, says, Samaritan, <laughs> all right. can't even keep that taste in my mouth. Can't even say the words to this, to, to what's going on in this situation. That this man would actually step up and be called my neighbor. Jesus is again showing the crowd that God may be working in a very unexpected way. All right This man, the, the Samaritan, as we saw in the story, he unexpectedly shows compassion for those he's supposed to hate, shows love and compassion for those he's supposed to hate. He picks up the dead man. The other guys, the religious leaders, they were more than likely concerned about their own purity, because if they had stopped on the side of the road to go treat this man, this dead man, well, what's, what's it say? What's their law say? Well, then all of a sudden they're impure. And so they may have been thinking about, well, shoot, if I go help this guy and I get blood on my hands because I helped him, well, then i got to go through all those rituals. Then, you know, I can't go to work in the temple. I can't interact with all these other people who may need my help in the future. Whereas this guy's laying in the road right here, right now, needs the help. And they're thinking more about their own purity, staying clean, their own righteousness, and they pass him by. And the Samaritan picks up this dead man to heal his wounds. He pays the price to basically bring him back to life. They left him for dead. He's going to die on the side of the road. The Samaritan pays the price to literally bring him back to life, and he gives, he gives him more abundantly than, than the man even deserves. What does it say? He goes to the innkeeper and he says, hey, if there's any extra cost, I'll just keep paying it. Tell me. I'll reimburse it. I'll reimburse it if There's more cost. I'll reimburse it. Who does this remind you of? Who does this Samaritan remind you of? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus says that the Samaritan has compassion for this wounded and dying man. The story of Jesus is about God having compassion for this wounded and dying world. We are all the man who's laying dead on the side of the road. That's our position. That's our position. Sin like the, is like the robber. Sin is like the robber. It's taken everything from us. It leaves us wounded and dead. Sin doesn't care what happens to us, right? Sin is like the robber leaving us for dead. And then there are a number of cultural things that are, that are more than content to walk by us and say, oh, good luck, good luck, but we're just going to keep on walking by. Jesus is the Samaritan. Jesus is the Samaritan, one who was our enemy. If you think about our relationship to God before we accepted Christ, we are, we are counted among the enemies of God, right? We are counted among those who are separate, literally those who are enemies of God, and Jesus comes in here as the Samaritan. He was our enemy, and He came and He nursed our wounds. He paid the price for our healing, and completely fulfilled the needs that we had, right? Above and beyond, Jesus follows Psalm 103 when it says, The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, following in line with what the Samaritan had done. The Scripture frequently speaks of Jesus' compassion for the people, right? Right? Jesus had compassion on them. Jesus had compassion. This is, this is the story. As, as, Jesus, we, as we read the Gospels, Jesus had compassion. Jesus felt compassion. Calm and um, compassion. Calm means with. Passion means to have deep feelings. Compassion, the word, the word put together, calm and passion, literally means to suffer together. To suffer together. Jesus is not just a Savior who steps in to relieve some pain. He is the one who steps in to the suffering with us. Amen. Amen? He steps right into the suffering with us to give us more than we deserve, everything that we need. And we live in a dark world, a world where there are a lot of people who are separated from God. There is a lot of pain. There are a lot of people who are actually suffering in this world around us. And so to have compassion means that we go and we help to alleviate another person's suffering, to step into the suffering with them. And Jesus leads the way. This is is a story about someone leading the way. Jesus ultimately leads the way for us. He shows us compassion in love and in action. He shows us what it means to go out of your way for the needs of another this, this Samaritan man, certainly, this Samaritan in his culture would have been more than justified. If he went back to his buddies and said, man, I was traveling down the road, you know, and I saw this guy side of the road, he looked like a Jewish man, so I just went ahead and just kind of left him where he was and, and went, and he gets to the restaurant and he gets to the place where he's going to meet his friends, and they would have been like, yep, oh man, he deserved it. That would have been the response. He deserved it, on the Jewish side as well. Oh, I saw a Samaritan laying on the side of the road, and, you know, I just didn't feel the need. It wasn't my need or my place to go take care of him. I'm sure some of his people will come and take care of his needs later on, and he would have gone to the temple even or wherever and said, you know, did I do okay? And the religious leaders probably would have said, yeah, it was okay. It was okay. You're pure. You're clean. You didn't tarnish yourself or or damage yourself in any way by helping that person Out Compassion means going out of our way for the needs of others, even when it would cost us, even when it's messy, even when it means stepping off the easy path. A Samaritan was on his way to somewhere. He had business to do. He had a place to go. He had people to meet, and he took the time to stop, nurse the guy on the side of the road, make sure he was okay to travel, put him on his own animal, takes him to an inn. We don't know where. We don't know where to stop in. Then he's got to go and stop back at that inn again to take care of the bill that would be remaining for him. Compassion sometimes means that we step off the easy path and it becomes a little bit messy. And in this story, Jesus says that this Samaritan defines what it means to have true compassion for someone. Jesus says if we miss out on what he has to offer ultimately, what, we, what Jesus has to offer, we will literally be like this man lying on the side of the road destined for death, destined for us. That is our position. In this story, we are the man lying on the side of the road. We need someone to come and nurse our wounds, bandage us up, and take care of the needs that, that we have in order to experience life. So here you have this lawyer who is looking to justify himself, to to see himself as secure in his own righteousness, to to do what he could for those who could help him so that he could get what he wanted. That was the kind of help he was wanting to offer. Let me say that again. So this, this lawyer, this is the kind of help he was... Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Jesus, tell me who my neighbor is so that he could do what he could to serve his neighbor... To those who could help him in life, prop him up, move him up, do whatever, so that he could get what he wanted, which was eternal life, to be considered part of God's family. And when we think that way, when we start thinking about, Jesus, tell me who I need to help in my little circle of friends, point out those people that I need to help, who I consider my neighbors, bring them into my life so I can help them, so I can get what I want. When we think that way, naturally our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Our mind gets smaller and smaller and smaller. What we want to do gets smaller and smaller and smaller. This quote from N.T. Wright, he says this, what is at stake then and now, so as he's talking about this story and now, is the question of whether we will use God-given revelation of love and grace as a way of boosting our own sense of isolated security and purity, or whether we will see it as a call and challenge to extend that love and grace to the whole world. Jesus says in this story and also to Peter's response about forgiveness, he says this about the kingdom of God is getting bigger and bigger. It's getting bigger and bigger. The doors are open wide for people to come in. And for many people, that is an uncomfortable thought. This was an uncomfortable thought for this lawyer. What do you mean the doors are open for everybody? I thought it was just my neighbors, the ones I like. And so he asked the question, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? As a first century follower of Jesus, they would have been asking this question, what does it mean to live as the people of God? What does, it mean? what does it mean to live as the people of God? This is the question. John 17, Jesus says this, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, that you know God and you know the one who he has sent. This man's question of what do I have to do? What do I have to do? He's, Micah 6, 8 says this, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice. There's that word again. The guy's trying to justify himself. He's trying to be righteous. Justify righteous justice are part of the same root word. Do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Early church father, Rhenius said this about salvation. This is this is this is what it means to be to be saved. To believe in him is to do his will. When we believe in God, when we believe in Jesus Christ as our savior, pff, this is what happens. This is how we walk. This is how we live. This is how we produce fruit. To believe in him is to do his will. Jesus after he tells this Samaritan story about a man who goes, this is how you get eternal life. This is how you are counted as The people of God. This is how you show that you are uh, the people of God. When you look at the story of the Samaritan, and he ends and he says, he says this to the man, go and do the same. That's all we can say today. We see the story. We see Jesus' example. And what do we say? We say, go and do the same. Go and do the same. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Jesus, we come to you as our Lord and Savior. Um, we love you. We, we thank you so much uh, for the way that you have picked us up from the road. We, we are dead in our sins, but you picked us up from the road. You uh, bandaged our wounds. You paid the price for us to be in relationship with you and with our Heavenly Father. We thank you for that. We praise you for that good news. I pray, Lord, that as we walk out of these doors, that we would take those words to hearts where you say, go and do the same. We come in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.